Hello and welcome to another episode of the Overcoming Life Podcast. I'm your host, Nashawn Garrett. Uh, we have been talking about the kingdom of God. Do you guys know that there is a difference between the kingdom of God, the gospel of the kingdom, and the gospel of salvation? I think people's lack of understanding of the gospel of the kingdom puts them like super hyper-focused on how to sell people on the gospel of salvation. The gospel of salvation is not the only thing that matters, guys. And I think in churches, we've made it like the only thing that matters. And that's unfortunate because um, it's not the only thing that matters. And uh, when we lose focus of the whole landscape that the Bible is is sharing and teaching and revealing to um, about a certain history, God's history with a certain type of people and how he's fulfilling the covenant and how he is going to uh, change the world, make it anew, save the world, redeem the world, renew it, restore it. Well, all of these things are... Uh, very important in the grand scheme of everything. And I feel like the church has become so gospels of salvation focused that they forget all the other pieces that make um, it important. Said, we have been talking about not only the kingdom of salvation, we talked about that in our last episode, how to become a citizen of the kingdom. So that's really all the gospel of salvation is all about. It's how do you become a citizen in the kingdom of God? How do you become a citizen in the kingdom of God? And that's what the gospel of salvation is about. Other than that, there's much else to learn, right? And so in this episode, we are going to be talking about specifically the laws of the kingdom of God. Got to know the laws. If you're going to be a citizen of the kingdom, you have to know the laws. So the laws of God are simply defined as this, right? Anything God says for man to do, that is that is the law, okay? So in order to be obedient to the king, we have to obey his laws. And the laws of the kingdom are just the expression of his righteous character. The law reveals the nature, heart, mind, character of God. Uh, I think we miss that sometimes because oftentimes when we hear the gospel, the law is the bad guy. The law is that which condemns us. The law is that which um, puts us at a distance between God. And that we never come into a right relationship with, with his, his character because we reject his law. So God's law is the standard of righteousness. Of righteousness. It's a standard by which his righteousness or our righteousness is measured. Any righteousness is measured. So to violate the law and to violate is to violate the character of God. And that is called sin. If you violate the law, you violate the character of the king who administers that law. And that is called sin. The Hebrew word for sin is kata, which means to miss the mark or to fail to achieve the goal. So in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, we read, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person, every single person in humanity has fallen short of the target or the goal. We have all fallen short of the righteous character of God. Everyone has failed 
In fact, not only has everyone failed, we were born missing the mark. So from the, from the jump, we didn't really, we were failures from the jump, sinners from the jump. We have to understand that the purpose of the law is to deal with sinners. As long as there are sinners in the world, there has to be laws to restrain men from hurting or harboring uh, anger or whatever it is against their neighbor. To enforce peace and tranquility and kindness and good relationship in the land, the laws have to have penalties until there are no more sinners. You understand that the law is to bring peace and tranquility, and without the law, there's only chaos and deprivation, and it's just a kind of this destute place. That's what we are trying to, that's what we're trying to avoid, and that's the purpose of the law. So, the law enforces tranquility, and the law has uh, penalties for disobedience. And the lawful order may be restored when men violate the rights of others. That's why we have penalties, so that the rightful order would be restored. So Paul tells us the purpose of the law in First Timothy Chapter 1, verse 8 and 11. And he says, But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully, realizing the fact that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for those who are lawless and rebellious, for the ungodly, for the sinners, for the unholy and the profane, for those who kill their fathers or mothers, for murderers, for immortal men and homosexuals, for kidnappers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound teaching, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which I have been entrusted. That's a long list. You guys see that the law is for the, the rebellious. It is for the lawless. So in Christianity today, when you hear people saying the law has been done away with, essentially you're hearing them say they are lawless and rebellious. They are testifying to their own lawlessness, and they're testifying to the fact that they need the law of God. Because until our character, our heart, our minds, our nature is conformed and submitted to the will of Christ in us, we are still in need of teaching and the law teaches us in order to bring us into uh, the full stature to, of of Christ so when men begin to sin the law became necessary to deal with the reality that men now sin but in the beginning prior to the introduction of sin in the world there wasn't really a need for the laws imposed upon men from higher powers. That wasn't really necessary. And so uh, the scripture says that God in the end will be all in all. And when God is all in all, there will be no need for the laws because the law of God will be written on the hearts of all men through Christ in them. 
So men will do what is right by nature, and they won't actually need to um, have any coercive law enforcement agency to restrain them from doing evil things to each other. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Uh, I think if we lose sight of the purpose of the law and the purpose of what God is doing through all creation as he is restoring the world unto himself, I think we, I think if we lose sight of that, we, we end up in a, an, a very unhealthy place in our, in our teaching and in our church. I think if we lose sight of the fact that God will be all in all, what happens when God is all in all? Like, take that to its most rational um, place. It's the furthest rational place that you could take that to. What happens when God is all in all? Then we see peace. Then we see uh, grace. Then we see there's no need for all these restraints because people will willingly in their hearts serve God. So is it, can God be all in all if there is a certain part of his creation that is set aside and placed where millions and billions of people are being tortured for sins that they committed in this lifetime uh, when they were alive? Is God all in all when there are still men being punished for sins that they had committed? Is God all in all in that? Or is God all in all in redeeming this person so that they walk and fulfill their purpose to manifest his righteousness and his love and his mercy and his character? I think the second one makes more sense and I think the first one is crazy to believe. To be honest, I'm going to be, I'll just keep it, I'm always going to keep it a stack with you guys. I'll always keep it real with you. And that's, that's real. So God, uh, God, when he is all in all, men will do what is right by nature. They won't need any law enforcement agency. So the laws of God have been revealed progressively as man has essentially degenerated morally and the first law was given in genesis chapter 2 verse 16 and 17 it was given to adam adam uh, and this was the law the lord god commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden you may eat freely but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. There was no other law other than that. Very simple. Do not eat of the tree, of the fruit, of the knowledge of good and evil. And it only took one law to provide the opportunity for Adam and Eve to fail. That's all it took. And once they sinned, mankind was essentially in this de- uh, degeneration process. Uh, this this disintegrating of moral compass, morality, and just general goodness. So because of their degeneration, we needed more laws. So the worse that man got, the more laws man needed to be revealed so that men would know the mind of God in these matters. So the law reveals the mind of God. I'll say it again. The law reveals the mind of God on matters that are uh, connected to the degeneration of 
of the morality of man. So after the flood, God revealed to Noah some other laws that were given to govern the earth. So Noah technically was the legitimate king of the earth for the birthright from Adam had been passed down to him. And we know this because Noah knew the difference between clean and unclean animals, and this knowledge was necessary in bringing animals into the ark before the flood. And we see this in Genesis chapter 7, verse 2. And so there were many um, more laws that were revealed in Genesis uh, after the flood. For example, they weren't to eat the blood with meat, right? Not supposed to have blood because blood was not created to be food for man. Um, and if man murdered his, murdered his neighbor, then his life would to be forfeited as well, right? So you couldn't just kill people uh, unless you wanted to die yourself. So these were attributes of God's righteous, righteous character, and they're revealed by inspiration during the centuries to come. And so in Genesis chapter 26, verse 5, we see that God blessed Abraham because Abraham obeyed me and my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my law. So, yes, um, the, law came, the law came through Moses, right? The Bible says that the law came through Moses, but grace and peace came through Jesus Christ. Uh, and I think there's many people who don't recognize that the law was in existence before, before Moses. Yeah, there's the Mosaic law, but God's law is, is what constitutes our very existence. And Abraham kept the laws of God. So before the time of Moses, there were divine laws that Abraham lived by. And Abraham's faith was shown by the fact that he obeyed God, uh, particularly when he left uh, Ur of the Chaldees and traveled to the land of Canaan. Abraham was a man of great faith, but his faith was made evident by his obedience to the voice of God. So you have the, and I think that this is kind of important too, especially when we're listening, uh, for those of you who may or may not be in the church system, uh, Listening to the voice of God is, is not always equal to listening to the voice of your pastor, your leader, your small group leader, your whatever, your spiritual father, whatever that might be. Listening to the voice of God and being obedient to his voice oftentimes differs from that of the church system. Oftentimes it will differ. And I think I can be, I think I can be straight about that because uh, it's true. It is, it is a truth more often than not. And so always be willing to go to God to ask him to confirm his word, not according to what we believe is right or not according to the idols of our hearts, but according to what he wants. And you'll find that when you're listening to his voice, generally speaking, there, uh, it'll, it generally rubs people who have supposed leadership over you, or it generally rubs them wrong, to be honest. It generally rubs them a little bit wrong. Not that you're trying to do that to people, but no, you're trying to follow the voice of God. You're trying to be obedient to, to his voice and not the voice of tradition and not the voice of uh, other, other things. So four centuries after Abraham, Moses led Israel 
to the mountain, right? They came to Mount Sinai, gave them a complete set of laws for the kingdom of God. And the laws were meant to govern the relationship between God and men and between men and their neighbors. That's what the law is for. These laws defined absolute justice in that the judgments were always to fit the crime. The judgment for somebody's, for, uh, for a crime that someone commit was never more than the crime itself. So, and it didn't matter who you uh, sinned against, whether it was a king or whether it was a peasant, the law was the same. Whatever you did against someone to sin against them, the law was impartial to that. The law did not show any partiality to the person who sinned against their neighbor or the person who sinned against uh, someone who was great. In the church today, we hear the exact opposite of what I just said, where they say, well, the, the measure of, it, it, I think it was John Piper who said something along the lines of, the measure of, Something along, I can't, I'm missing the paraphrase, but essentially something along the lines of this, the measure of the sin rises with the one who has sinned against, right? So the measure of punishment for the sin rises with the one who sinned against. Isn't that evil? So that means if you sin against this poor person, it's going to be a less punishment. But if you sin against this judge, then it's going to be even greater punishment. That is not the law of God, guys. That's evil. That is man's Man trying to interpret God's law according to how man thinks. That is not right. This, the scripture shows us that absolute justice, uh, well, shows us absolute justice in that the judgments always were to fit the crime. So uh, restitution, restitution is paying back what you took or what you owe whether, whether it be money or whether it be goats, or like there was a set, they have the laws of restitution. At some point in time, we'll go over that. Uh, but when restitution was not possible, the offense oftentimes con- constituted in the death penalty. So if you did something wrong and you could not pay it back, it was like you died. But also these laws, in these laws, the person who was sinned against, not the judge, has the right to forgive uh, the sin. Isn't that cool? So, anyways, we're talking about the laws of the kingdom. The laws included judgments. And these, which are, when they're defined, they show the precise penalties for violating the rights of others. Uh, For history has shown us that men tend to enact judgments that far exceed the crime itself. How about torturing people in hell forever in a fiery, burning, conscious, tormentous, eternal, flaming fire. How about that? That sounds like men enacting judgments that far exceed the crime itself. How about telling a little child when they're nine, six, four, three years old that if they even tell a little white lie, they would be burning in hell forever apart from the love of their creator. That's enough to mess up a couple kids, I'll tell you that. And I think that there's 
far more than a few kids who have been messed up because their parents or their church indoctrinated them with that nonsense. All right. So the judgments not only protected the rights of the victim, but they also protected the rights of the lawbreakers. Did you know that the law of God protects the rights of lawbreakers so that they would not be punished too harshly? Isn't that amazing? But have we ever been taught this? Have you ever been taught that the, that the law of God protects the rights of those who have broken the law? Because history has shown us that men try to enact judgments that are worse at far exceed the crime itself. Torture, murder, uh, being in cells by yourself for long periods of time. That is evil, guys. I hope y'all, I hope someone hears me. The Apostle Paul says of the law of God in Romans chapter 7, verse 12, so then the law is holy and the commandment righteous, good, and holy. When's the last time you heard somebody tell you the law is good and the commandment is holy? It's set apart, guys. When's the last time you heard someone say, I love the law of God? When's the last time you heard someone in church say, I love the law of God instead of, man, the law of God was killing us, and God, man, he broke the law in order to. God did not break the law in order to do anything. Oh, how I wish we would understand the heart of David when he says, the law of God is perfect, converting the soul. Psalms 119, if you ever want to know how good the law is, just go listen to 100, uh, Psalms 119. I always used to read those verses, and I say, man, the law, the law, the law, the law, What what is this? What, what is all this law stuff? The law is what killed me. The law is what Jesus came to destroy. The law is what was separating me from God. The law is what was condemning me. The law is what is evil. The law is, is legalistic. Why are you talking about the law? Brothers and sisters who are listening, the law is holy. The commandment is holy and righteous and good. And when you see how good it is, you cannot help yourself to say, uh, the law is good, and I love the law with all my heart. I love the law of God. He is so wise. He's so good. He's so righteous. You can't help, help but to say that. Not only that, but the law is spiritual, Many people have taught that the divine law is carnal, that it's fleshly, as if it came from the carnal mind of man. But this is not true, guys. The law is spiritual. Why? Because God is spirit. And those who worship him have to worship him in spirit and in truth. Any law coming from him is always precedented with spiritual application first. All right, guys. I think that's about it for right now. We're going to be talking a little bit more about the spiritual law and the interpretation and how to know the mind of the author who wrote these laws in our next episode. Hope this makes sense to you. Hope you guys connected with this. But blessings to you and peace from God. 
I hope that uh, we're getting something out of this that, that's changing our, changing our thoughts, changing our minds, and allowing us to really to know him, to know him, to know his heart. Because to know him is eternal life, guys. Blessing to you. See you next episode.